All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 18. We will get there in a few moments. My name is Chris. I'm one of the elders, the pastor here at the church, and we're very delighted that you're here with us this morning. We are a spiritual family, and we trust that uh, that is the way that we exemplify ourselves in Christ, loving one another, loving him first with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving each other well, and loving our neighbors well, and even our enemies. This morning, we wrap up a series that we've been looking at for the last few months on hearing God. And we've looked at how we hear him through Jesus, the living word, that Jesus is what God sounds like. That when we've seen him and heard Jesus, then we have seen and heard the Father. And then we looked at how God speaks to us through the written word, which is the Bible. And that when we read and study it, when we partake in it, when we dive into it, that we need to do it with a lens of Jesus, looking through into scripture through the lens of Jesus, because everything points to Jesus and everything will be completed in Jesus. He is in everything and everything is pointing to him. And then we also looked at how you can hear God through prophetic utterance, through prophecy, how God actually uses servants, people, to speak into the lives of others, and that he speaks also through visions and dreams. And we've seen how God often speaks in a still, small voice, a gentle whisper, not so much in the huge, dramatic manifestations, though he can, but where he speaks quietly, that we have to lean in and hear him. And we also learned that silence does not mean that he is absent. He's very present, always with us. And we discussed how we must learn how to recognize God's voice because there are a multitude of voices all around us. God's voice can be learned and we can learn it and discern what his will is. That whether we turn to the left or to the right, God is there saying, this is the way, walk in it. So today we conclude our series by looking at the idea that God speaks to us in community and through relationships and through people. And now in many ways, the things we've looked at before, Rocky, can you turn me down just a hair? I feel like it's just distracting me just a bit. Thank you. Um, in many ways, the way we hear God is always in community. When we're studying the word, we're oftentimes in community. When we're receiving prophetic utterance, it is because we're in community. When we are seeing the signs and wonders of God, it's oftentimes within a community context. But specifically, I want us to look at how God speaks to us in this kind of setting. Uh, we find biblical examples throughout the Bible of God using people to speak uh, to others, like uh, when <clears throat> Ananias came to speak to Paul. Uh, and he was a stranger, actually, and God used him. And like when Abigail spoke to David, uh, she spoke God's word to David, and it stunned him, it shocked him, it kind of enthralled him. He later married Abigail. Um, and then 
we also find that in community, God speaks, like when he uses Paul to challenge Peter, confronting him, speaking the truth of God's word to him to adjust what his teaching and his practice is. And also how Mordecai challenges Esther, speaking God's word to her. That's what we will focus on today, how God speaks to us in community. But before we do that, I want us to look at just what community should look like. What is community? What is a godly, healthy community? And before we get to Exodus, I want to look at this picture that Paul paints for us in Colossians 3. He says, In Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is what community should look like. Such an amazing, vivid description. You know, there's a phrase that's used in these verses It's used about three times. It's the phrase, one another. Actually, in one instance, it's used each other. The other two, one another. Which that phrase, one another, or variation of it, is used over 100 times in the New Testament. 59 of those times are ways, commandments, in which we are to live towards one another in being a godly community. It is a one another-ness that makes us community. Like when Jesus said in John 13, love one another. Now, that's just a very simple, direct command. And yet it's repeated more than 15 times in the New Testament. And when Paul is writing to the church in Rome, he has many one another's that he talks about. He said in Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another, honor one another above ourselves, live in harmony with one another, build up one another, be like-minded towards one another, accept one another. I could go on and on and on and on, 59 of them, one another's. Here in Colossians, Paul says that we are to forgive each other, that we are to be patient with one another, and we're to admonish one another in all wisdom. This is what community looks like. This is what the church was designed to be. It's a shame that the church 
has become so politicized, so uh, divisive, so um, secular in the way that we have lived, that church universal is no longer got the distinct characteristics that Jesus intends for us to have. It is the kind of preference towards one another that is sacrificial, not clinging to our own rights and what we desire, but rather serving and honoring and deferring to one another. It's what community was designed to look like. And then when you add to those one another's where we forgive and where we are patient with and where we admonish each other with wisdom, we add to those things, things like compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and love that binds it all together. I mean, like things that we would put on like a new set of clothes. These are characteristics, attributes, ways we should love one another with all of these exemplified fruit of the spirit. That's incredible. That's the kind of church I wanna be a part of. That's the kind of community God designed for us to be. And when you then take on top of that, the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, and the word of Christ dwelling richly in us. Oh, wow. What a glorious picture of community where we are Christ-centric. He is at the center of all that we do. And always we are accepting and preferring and honoring and forgiving and strengthening and loving and challenging one another. Anybody want to be a part of that kind of church? Some of you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> I'm taking note. I'm in that oh, good. I love it. That's great. Good answer, Pat. Thank you. I'll pay you later. <clears throat> this is what community looks like. And that's why Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians and he's talking to them about spiritual gifts and that we should eagerly desire such things, like prophecy, he's instructing them on how to exercise such gifts. And he says in 1 Corinthians 14, and this is where my wife was stealing my thunder last week when she was using some of my verses, but they're not mine. She can use them. Out of the Amplified, which is her favorite Bible. Pursue love. He's just talked all of 1 Corinthians 13 about what love is and what it's not. And he's like, pursue this kind of love. Pursue that kind of love. With eagerness, make it your goal. Yet earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual gifts to be used by believers for the benefit of the church. And when these gifts, including prophecy are used in this way, in this kind of love, in this kind of one togetherness, one anotherness, then the result will be, as verse three says, edification, which the Amplified expands to say to promote their spiritual growth and encouragement to uphold and advise them concerning the matters of God and consolation to compassionately comfort them. We're to be that kind of community. We're that kind of community where our love for one another 
wins always. That it is the primary focus of why we live and walk and work together as his people. That loving one another, our community is spiritually built up. It is edified. It is added to, not taken away. It is strengthened and not diminished. It is encouraged and not discouraged. Where these things are being upheld and people are being advised about the matters of God. And it changes their life and causes them to live differently. And then they're comforted with all compassion. The compassion that comes from the Lord. It's not sappy. It's not syrupy. It's meaningful because Jesus himself has compassion upon us. And we are to walk in that kind of compassion towards one another. And when we are that kind of community, God will use our speaking to one another to do all sorts of things. He'll get involved in our words and encouragement with one another to give direction and to give correction and to give challenge and to give vision and to give purpose and to give encouragement. God speaks in community. Are you listening? Are we listening? Now, with that as an understanding of what community should look like, I want us to look at one such time God spoke through such a community. It's actually a familial community, father-in-law and son-in-law. As Moses and the Israelites are making their way to Sinai, which is the mountain of God, in Exodus 18, there's such a great story about Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. And I want us to look at it in Exodus 18, and we'll start in verse 7. We're going to read quite a lot of this chapter, and we'll start right here. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. This is the kind of re uh, reception, James, that I expect to get from you every chance I can, Okay. <laughs> Justin, yeah, yeah. Bow down and kiss me. Those are two of my sons-in-law, by the way. The other one's not here because he didn't want this instruction today. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. And then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that God had done to Israel. And that he, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now that may not seem odd to you, but Jethro is not an Israelite. He is a Midianite. He is a priest of the Midianites. 
And somewhere along the way, what God is doing in Moses and has done for the 40 years that Jethro has known him, because that's how long they're together, God does something in Jethro to cause him to see that God is the only God. Your life, your process of living is a testimony before others who are watching. What you do and how you do it and how you respond to God. And I'm not saying it was always perfect for Moses. He was running. He was running from Egypt when Jethro met him. There's a whole lot of history to these guys and they're 40 years together. But in the process, Jethro came to be a friend of God, a believer in God, Yahweh. As Moses was bringing the people out of Egypt, he had sent his wife, who was Jethro's daughter, and his two sons to live back with Jethro while he was doing all of this glorious work for the Lord. But now they've reunited, and it must have been so sweet. I love reunions. Do you? I love seeing people I haven't seen. I get excited. There's lots of excitement around the reunion and the sweetness of that. I can imagine how Moses must have felt having now his wife and children back with him. How glorious that man. He was so excited he ran out to see them as they're coming to camp. He didn't wait for them to arrive. He ran out to get them. And when he sees Jethro, he is, he is so drawn to him. He runs up and bows down to him and kisses him. He's recalling then with Jethro all that the Lord has done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians and how he has set the people of Israel free, how he's let them go out from the land. And it shows that Moses esteemed Jethro. And I love this. Not just because I have three sons-in-law, though that's awesome, but I love it because it shows how the purposes of God bind our hearts together. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Those who do the will of God. You may not have family here that's that kind of connected. I, you know that I do, and I'm grateful for that. But the family that is most important before the Lord is the family that does the will of God. And you may have connections with people closer that are not blood relatives, and that is as God would desire. It shows that Moses loved him, he esteemed him, he bows down and kisses him. And it shows that they've had a deepening relationship for these 40 years. And Jethro's reaction to all that God has done is one of just pure joy. I mean, think about it. He's actually the first one who offers sacrifices to God for all that God has done for Israel. And he's a Midianite. <clears throat> Remarkable. Look what happens next, verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. He's back to the grind of what he normally is doing. <laughs> and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses, his father-in-law, saw, saw that he was doing for the people, all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. 
Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not so good. You and the people will, or with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, Jethro said. I will give you advice and God be with you. I love that. I think it's more than just a, a, a thing to say after a command. I think Jethro really believes that what he is sharing with Moses is what God is saying to Moses. God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties and of tens. And then let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. And if you do this, God will direct you and you will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. And this is my favorite verse of the whole story. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. It's not my favorite. They know I'm joking. <laughs> it's fascinating that God has had an ongoing conversation with Moses all this time. He's been talking to him all this time. He, he showed up talking to him in a burning bush. He's told him all that he should be saying to Pharaoh as he's uh, forcing the Egyptians to let them go. He's told what to do when they're trapped by the Red Sea. He's told that manna will come down out of heaven so that they might be fed. He's told how to strike the rock so that they can have water. He's told over and over again. And later on, God is gonna tell Moses the distinct specific building instructions for the tabernacle and how to obey the law. But in all of this conversation that God has been having with Moses, God never told him how he should manage the daily affairs of leading the people. Instead, he sends his father-in-law, Jethro, to do it for him. Now, some scholars think, well, that's because this was not necessarily God's word to Moses. It was just a good idea. But in my experience, any good idea that I come upon is what God has led me into. Because all the ideas I have, apart from God, are not good ideas. And I believe that God was using Jethro in that moment to establish something even for us to see that he not only speaks through the thunder and the burning bush and in our dreams and visions and in the written word and living word, he also speaks through God's people. He did through Jethro right into Moses's life. I find that incredible. God seems to like using us. He seems to like using his people to advance his purposes, to extend his kingdom, to speak his word. God 
has a part for you to play. You are not a spectator when you come into the kingdom of God. You were called to become a participant. Submitted to him? Oh, yes, certainly. Accountable to those that are around you? Yes, most definitely. But still useful in God's hand. God has words for you to speak, and they may be the very words that he is speaking to another. These things are serious to God. He didn't just intend for you to get saved and sit on the bench. He intends for you to get saved and learn how to hear his voice and to obey his voice and how to be coached into a place where you can operate in a team and then get out there on the field and seek God's glory in all that you do. He intends for you to participate with him. God uses Jethro to speak to Moses, a much more effective way of leading than what Moses had been doing. He tells him, hey, Moses, dude, you're in trouble. You're going to wear yourself out. And uh, you need to have a different plan. You need to pick for yourself some chiefs, some capable leaders that can assist you. And he, and he gives them some really distinct things. He said, make them chiefs of thousands and then of hundreds and then fifties and tens. And I, my administrative side really glories in that kind of idea. I, I, when we started a camp years ago, one of the first things that we looked at is how to break up the camp into manageable size groups. We called them teams. And we had captains and co-captains. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Came right from here. Well, maybe not quite, but almost. It was a strategy, a plan for, for not just management, but for effectiveness. And they... Moses and his leaders all around him begin to see the wisdom of what Jethro was saying. And then Jethro gives him qualifications for these leaders, which is really quite significant too. He says, uh, first, look for their relationship to God. They must fear the Lord. And then look for their relationship with others. They must be trustworthy. And then finally, look for their relationship with money. If they're prone to take a bribe, that's not the person you need to put in charge. That's a pretty good list of qualifications right there, wouldn't you say? Jethro spoke God's word to Moses, and it shows us that we often hear God in community through people who disciple or pastor us, who are walking alongside us, mentoring us, who have gone a few steps ahead of us because we're following them as they follow Jesus, is what Paul said. We hear God in community where people are teaching us, instructing us, laying down line upon line, precept upon precept. We are hearing God even with the people that we're doing life together with. I bet you have experienced God speaking to you through other people. If you've walked with the Lord at any amount of time at all, I bet you can think back to your life and think of moments when God used someone to speak a word to you, a word of affirmation, of confirmation, of direction, of encouragement. And, and it came at the right time and you're like, wow, I really, I needed to hear that. that that's life-giving. That, that's 
eye-opening. That's, that's breaking me out of this cycle that I'm in. That, that helps me be encouraged and strengthened. I bet you've experienced this. Perhaps it was a moment of great clarity as a great saint, a wise sage gave you some advice. Or maybe it's in the powerful preaching that set your heart on fire. Or maybe it's in a prophetic word that was spoken and it, it, it just spoke directly into your heart. You knew that was God speaking to you. Or maybe it was simply in an ordinary conversation you were having with a friend. And then before you know it, Jesus joined you like he did those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And your heart all of a sudden is burning within you. And what God was speaking, even through your friend, has now been revelation for you. As Pete Gregg says, sometimes God listens in on our conversations and receives them as prayer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the testimony of other Christians, in the mouths of human beings. Therefore, Christians need other Christians who speak God's word to them. For Don and I, this has certainly been the case. When we first were married, for the first nine months of our marriage, Donna seemed to be stricken with every kind of medical health thing that you could imagine. Uh, she ended up having a knee surgery. She ended up having you know, an appendectomy, appendectomy, and then she had knee surgery. She had uh, all sorts of medical things are going on. And we really begin to recognize that this was a place the enemy was attacking us. He was coming at us. And so we were trying to cover all of our bases and thank God we had a very dear friend who was a spirit-filled Christian in our community who was also a physician, Dr. Frank Degree. I'll never forget his name. And so we went and we didn't have much money. We didn't have insurance. We just kind of went hoping that we could find out what needed to be done. And Frank was awesome. And he said, we're gonna find out what this is. And so he put her through every imaginable test and stress test and this and that and all sorts of those scans and you know, she's much better at that stuff than I am. She wore a halter monitor around, you know, monitoring her heart, did all sorts of things to try to narrow down why it was that she was just blacking out. She would just pass out. She was sitting in an intersection one time driving with her foot on the brake and she blacked out. She would black out at work. It was just crazy. And finally, Frank came into the room at the, as we had finished all the tests and he sat down, I'll never forget. He said, guys, this is spiritual. Now imagine a physician telling you that. Wouldn't that be great? They don't say those things very often, but he knew the Holy Spirit. He was a spirit-filled Christian. And he said, I've done all the tests. I can't see what this is physically. This is spiritual. Now he spoke God's word to us in that moment. And it helped us to focus, okay, now we know. And as we began to intensify our prayer and fasting towards what the Lord would do just a few days later, God dramatically touched and healed and delivered Donna. And we've not had those problems since. God used community 
to speak to us. About 11 years ago, when, when I was considering what God had for me in the future, my own father-in-law had a word from God for me. He was a pastor of this church for 27 years, Brother John Duke. Many of you know my story of, of a prodigal experience, and I had been reunited with the Lord and with my family, with my wife, and it was wonderful. But John sat down with me one day and he said, I believe God wants to restore you to the ministry of pastor. And he said it that clear and that direct, and I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to be a pastor anymore. I was happy doing what I was doing. But his clarity of speaking to me that God's call and gifts are without repentance and that God was going to restore me to that as much as he restored me to Donna was a word that I heard in community and it was God speaking. And then what was so great is the community that we had. I began to see how the confirmation of that in that Jamie and Kathy had decided to move back here and join the work here with their work with Boy With The Ball. And Curtis and Phyllis were here to be strengthening encouragements and advocates for me. And the elders began to give confirmation that this is what God was saying. And God spoke to me in community. Jethro, speaking to Moses, offers us several lessons for hearing God in community. First, we can tend to live beyond our capacity. Moses probably was. We live just a little bit further out than what we should. As a leader, I can get addicted to the affirmation or to validation that I might get by doing it all. You know, being the star player, always going the furthest that anybody goes, always being the first and the last. But that's not always God's will. A lot of times our insecurity creates in us this need to do it all, to be it all. And God is saying, can you just rest in me and let me be it all? <clears throat> I don't know if that was Moses's problem. He had some things that we know about of insecurities around his speech and other things. But for me, that can be a problem where I think, well, I've got to do it. If it's going to be done, I have to be there doing it. Maybe you do too. I think Moses thought that what he was doing was the only way that it could get done. I don't know that he was open to other suggestions. He just assumed this is what was necessary. And if it's necessary, I'm going to do it. How have you seen yourself function like this? How have you been prone to this kind of posture in the way you're doing what you're doing? Are there things that you're doing assuming that's the way it has to be done? Is God trying to speak to you and tell you there's another way? And it will be my way. Has God sent others to help tame your ambitions in those moments? To help redirect you and help you live as a one another member of the community? Where it's not just me and me alone. 
Second, we can learn from Jethro's willingness to care for Moses. It was risky. Moses was the leader now of a pretty large nation. And Jethro, yes, knows him, has a relationship with him, but he's coming into something and he takes a chance. And he is willing to take that chance because he cares about Moses. His motivation is that God's will would be done and the people in the midst of it would be cared for. Who has God sent to you to care for you? To care for you in your walk with him, in your obedience to him. In what ways are they caring for you? In what ways will you not let them care for you? How have you been that person for others? Is God calling you to turn and care for another? To give yourself to that person that they might be edified, built up, encouraged, and comforted. Third, Moses exhibits great humility. He, he is receptive to what Jethro has to say. And this shows a great degree of maturity in Moses. I don't know that he would have done that the 40 years earlier when he killed the Egyptian trying to do in his own strength what God had called him to do. But now, 40 years later, he's 80 years plus, and he is much more mature, and he's much more humble, and he's recognized the power of God in so many ways, and his father-in-law comes and gives him a better suggestion, and he doesn't scold him for it or refuse it. He accepts it. It should make us evaluate our own willingness to receive input, instruction, correction, constructive criticism. When have you been defensive or arrogant with someone who was just really trying to help you? A lot of times that's with spouses. We're defensive because they're just trying to help you, but we get defensive because we know they'll love us anyway. Looking back, what could you have gained from humbling yourself, listening to them? What could have been better by doing that? I believe this story shows us that Moses was willing to be accountable. He was willing to receive and not just tell. He was willing to be given instruction as much as give it. And I think we should all, as we walk with Jesus, be that kind of person. Teachable. Willing to learn, no matter how old or how much experience we have. We're willing to hear and to learn and to submit and to be accountable. If Jesus submitted to the Father, why would we think we would not be required to submit? It's required of all of us. Who are you accountable to? Who speaks into your life? In your marriage, in your finances, in your work, in your friendships, in your parenting. Who is it that cares for you and has the word of the Lord for you in that given situation? God has placed us in community. 
And he's placed us here. And one of the things he intends to do in the midst of it is to speak to us. I pray that we as a community will have ears to hear. Amen. My lovely wife is going to come share with us uh, her thoughts, and then we're going to pray for you. I think it's a lot like our conversations about discipleship. It's what's your part receiving from the Lord, and then what's your part that you're giving? Um, And then what are you receiving in the benefit of community? And the great thing about this particular community is that um, we're learning how to run together even though we're not all in the same place. (laughs) We're not all on the same arc with the Lord. We're not all going to see things the same way, but we're learning how to be together in it And I would say there's probably a benefit of that togetherness that maybe you're not experiencing or that you're not giving or both. (laughs) So when we pray together this morning, my prayer is that God pricks our hearts. Where do we need to open our hand and where do we need to open our ears (laughs) to what's happening around us and what we can draw? We're not here by accident. We're here on purpose, on his purpose. And his blood is the greatest bond. Yes. Um, so we're together in that. And there's a power there that perhaps um, we're not getting the full benefit of. Amen. Amen. Would you join with us as we pray? Father, you are the head of the house. Mm-hmm. The community that we are a part of is because you have communion with us. That's right. You have fellowship with us so that we can have fellowship with one another. And you do speak. You speak with your presence. You speak with the connections. You speak when the joint supplies. And we want to both hear what you are saying to the church, to this community of believers. And we also want to be faithful to say what we are hearing Because together with all of the saints, we will grasp the bigness of you, the amazing power of your love to overcome absolutely everything in our hearts, in our our families, in our community, and beyond. Father, we trust you with the timing of this word, with calling us up to live as you have called us to. And we receive your direction and correction this morning and pray that your will will make it true in our lives. Yes, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you have placed us in community. I pray for anyone here today that is is not benefiting from that. Maybe they don't know you. Maybe they're being drawn to you that something is happening in their heart and you're drawing them closer or maybe they've just been out and figured it wasn't really worth it after all the church is such a messy place Lord I pray that you would help us 
to get past our biases about it all and about the inconvenience and the struggle and even the messiness that we see. And I pray that we would be able to graft in, be grafted into your community, that each of us would come to an understanding that you are not only Savior, but you're our Lord, and that you designed us to be a body where you are the head, that you're the chief cornerstone of the building that we're being built into. And I pray, Father, that each person that is here, wherever they are in their journey, maybe not knowing you or being drawn closer to you or just being distant from you and your people, that you would speak. Yes, Lord. And you would bring direction. And you would draw us closer to you and to your purpose. And that in that place, we would find the full benefit of what you have done for us. All the blessing of being your children and your family, that it would far outweigh the struggle or difficulty we might think it is. And I pray God that we will be people that are useful in your hand, that the one another's of the scripture will be our overarching um, emphasis as people that we would prefer and love and admonish and forgive and encourage and edify and strengthen one another. And that in that place, we would find the fullness of God being ministering to all of us, in us and through us to others. God, we want to be that kind of church. The world needs that kind of church. That's the kind of church you called us to be. Yes. We submit to you and ask that your will would be done in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name.